0: I never had any reason, I think, to be able to embrace that diagnosis. Obviously, I know that diagnosis can be quite a sad thing, but at the same time, it can be quite powerful because you suddenly have, have a reason for, you know, why you—why is this happening?
1: Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Laura. Welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? Really great, thank you. And you for having me.
0: Really excited to join the podcast today.
1: I'm so looking forward to this conversation because you are the founder of Casual Ableism, which is one of my favourite Instagram accounts. And whilst I find it absolutely hilarious, I also find it very jarring and very truthful. And I think there's something to be said in that because whilst it is quite funny, it's also quite tragic as well and i think sometimes we have to take a bit of tragedy with humor so i'm so looking forward to, to hearing all about that journey but the first question oh sorry no i just fully dived in on top of you then my apologies um edit this out note to self uh, <laughs> the first question that i ask absolutely every single guest is how do you refer to your disability
0: So I refer to myself as um, I'm
1: disabled, and I've always been proud to say
0: that. I think because for me, I was born with muscular dystrophy, um, but we didn't know until I was eight years old. So I spent the first seven and a half years of my life knowing I was different, knowing that something was kind of wrong with me, that I wasn't the same as everybody else, but I didn't know why. And I had no explanation for why am I like, why can't I run, why do I always fall over? Why am I always ill? So I think that when I kind of finally found out that, oh, I have muscular dystrophy, that's why, I think I've always been proud to embrace that. Because it was always the explanation I needed to explain to people when I was at school, you know, if teachers were saying, why can't you run, why don't you do sports? Why are you always ill? I never had any reasons, I think, to be able to embrace that diagnosis. Obviously, I know that diagnosis can be quite a sad thing, but at the same time, it can be quite powerful because you have have a reason for, you know, why, you, why is this happening? Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely proud to say I'm disabled and I have a physical disability. So my lived experience comes from physical disability, and chronic pain chronic fatigue and yeah I'm always proud to say that I'm I'm disabled
1: I love what you said about how it gave you answers and it was almost like a light bulb moment and you're like oh my gosh like now it makes sense and and whereas before when you didn't have answers you were like like you said like why why can't I run and and actually, I love that so much because it's suddenly like, oh, my God, like two and two does make four. And it's not yeah. like because I can't or like I don't want to or that there's something that's exactly. really weird going on in my body. Like it's just I've got this thing. It's muscular dystrophy. It is what it is. But oh, my God, now everything else makes so much more sense. And I think that's such a lovely way to look at things because I think you're right what you said about diagnosis sometimes it can be incredibly scary and and there's a grief period and and there's so much that comes along with that but actually just embracing it and being like yes like now I understand and I can wear this like as a proud badge on my sleeve is incredible definitely especially as a child you know you're taught not to answer back to
0: teachers and you kind of you're not meant to you know you're going to stand there and not argue but you're meant to kind of debate it or say but actually just let me explain you can't do that as a child and so i think that that was what was so empowering it's funny i would say it actually like this is a real thing i'm not just being lazy i'm not just like not trying i'm not just trying to avoid sports i'm genuinely this, this is what's what what is and this is what i can do i can still do these things take me longer or i just need a bit of um adjustments in place to be able to do that and i think that was just what was so great That obviously there is a grief to it and obviously it wasn't wasn't easy but I think because it made sense of seven and a half years of kind of like, why is this happening? It was just this kind of like, okay, well, the future now looks different than we thought it was going to look now that we know this is, this is happening. But yeah. at least we have an explanation, at least we can kind of do something with that. I think all the time that you have unanswered questions and things that don't make sense, you know, people go through years and years of the diagnosis journey for whatever type of health condition that then you kind of think, well, but without an actual answer to what it is, there's no kind of plan you can't plan ahead because you don't know what it is. So as soon as you yeah. have that answer about, okay, this isn't great, you know, in the future, is going to be different than what we imagined when I was born. But at least we now know this is the game plan. This is what can be done and just embrace it and kind of use, I've always, as a family, we have always said that you use the, the negative as a positive. So with advocacy and yeah. any way of doing that, something that's why, you know, with casual labelism, I wanted to use my negative experiences to kind of help raise awareness of ableism. And then also other people have also using their experiences through Supervision of ableism to then help educate people and everything. So that's the way I look at it anyway.
1: Oh, I just, I love that outlook so much. And I just think there's so much to be said for, for how you view it. And actually, if we're talking about muscular dystrophy, for those who don't know, can you give like a really like simplistic like minor explanation of what it is because in my the way that I know of it is that it's wastage of muscle yes and I think like that but that's my very very basic knowledge of muscular dystrophy and and I was wondering if you were able to just talk a little bit more about that
0: yeah of course so um muscular dystrophy is the like the umbrella name for and there are mm-hmm. so many different I don't know exactly how many there are but there are lots of different different types of muscular dystrophy and most people no of Duchenne, which affects boys, and that's the kind of popular, most known um, strain of muscle dystrophy. Sorry, because of my muscle dystrophy, it's very hard to say the word muscle dystrophy, which is why I'm sorry. yeah, <laughs> it's the muscle so, wasting. It's that ironic, <laughs> it's
1: isn't it? Like know, super maybe, ironic.
0: Yeah, it could have been a simpler word. Anyway, um, so yeah, it is. You're right. It's the um, muscle wasting. Basically, the simple terms is that when um, you're born, your muscles aren't kind of created in the same way as other people's. There's like a genetic mutation mm-hmm. or some some form that they kind of don't build the same way. And the way they explained to me when I was eight was that, for example, mm-hmm. someone else's muscles would look like rib steak, you know, really expensive steak with like wow. minimal marbling, proper like quality, nice bit of fat around the edge, but really pure. Yeah. And someone else's muscles for their muscles could look like kind of minced sausage meat, you know, kind of. Scrambled oh, wow. and- that's kind of like an idea of like how it's not formed properly. That was just like the simplest mm-hmm. way I was experiencing when I was eight. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, so it's a muscle um, wasting and every single strain is different. It affects people very differently. So my experience is of a very rare strain called minor which is mm-hmm. only a few people in the country with it. And the world's very, very rare. Uh, it was only discovered in 1970 something. So it's really, 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 really rare. Oh, wow, and no-
1: super rare
0: information about it so yeah muscle wasting and as I said it affects everybody differently whether it's with heart conditions or respiratory or scoliosis but just the general muscle wasting and mine affects my core and my lungs and so yeah so just the the general term is it's a wasting of the muscles and they never rebuild you can do physio you can do things but it never gets back to what it was once you lose that you can't rebuild it um that's like a general General, I don't, I'm not an expert, so I don't know the exact technical things. But that's just how it is to me. It's progressive and for a lot of people it can be stable for lots of years and then it can progress or it can develop later on in life, depending on the strain. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, so it's different for everybody and there's no one, even someone with the same strain as me, I know of three other people and none of them are the same as me, even though it's the same strain. So that's kind of how, you know, it's like, the sort of people say, oh, well you have that disease, so you're the same as my friend or you know you should be able to do that because someone else has the same as you that's the whole thing is that it? it's so different for everybody else and everyone's lived experience is different and it's going to be different of the way it progresses or manifests or how it affects them even in how they
1: choose to talk about it or choose to to identify as well yeah and I think what like isn't it isn't it insane when we think about disability because we all kind of you know if you're not in the disabled community or if you're you know you're just learning or you're just on your journey is that we very much believe that it's you know disability is one thing and then you kind of get under the hood of disability and it's definitely not one size fit all and then all of a sudden like you go into loads of different disabilities and in, equally with that it's never just one size fits all either and I think that's absolutely fascinating like you're someone that has a genetic mutation and it was only discovered in, what, 1970-something? I think. I don't quote me on that, but it was kind of
0: not that long ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is just absolutely bananas when you think about it. Like, we're still learning so much about disability and, and actually, like, I just love your outlook on it because you're like, yeah, like, it makes so much sense for my life and, and actually I'm going to wear that on my sleeve and I think that's a really beautiful beautiful way to live um which is like it is it's amazing but I was wondering when it came to you as you were saying so you got diagnosed when you were around eight and, yes. and what was it that prompted you and your family to like investigate further um ballet <laughs> um oh <I'm>, wow <laughs> no, no, no. I think because
0: I grew up without any other siblings so my mom never had anything to compare mm-hmm. me to I think if someone grows up with siblings of different ages and you kind of have a comparison of, hang on a minute, that child isn't doing what that child did at that stage, or that child, hang on a minute, yeah. is yeah. behind that child who's younger, for example. So I never had that comparison. And obviously we just have thought, well, I'm just I'm just a bit weaker, I'm just a bit slower, at, um, at kind of, I think my strength isn't, isn't very good, or I'm just, it's just how I am. That was it, it was just like, it's just yeah. how she is. And that's fine, we'll adapt towards it. And no one ever, I think it was also because it's progressive, it wasn't that obvious, and so it wasn't until I was in year three, and we we're doing like ballet yeah. exams and jumping. I couldn't jump. I can't. I can never be able to jump. So we had to do part of our ballet ballet exam was having to jump off the off the ground, like a little ballet move. And yeah. suddenly, yeah. it was like this child can't jump. And it was mm. a ballet teacher who then talked to my my like form teacher and said something not quite right here. And then they spoke to my mum about it, and then hospital. Um, kind of tests and everything. I'm not sure how long it took that it kind of goes black after a while. Um, I remember being in ballet class and then I remember being in hospital and it's kind of the rest of it's kind of black of the like time scale. So yeah, it was ballet class and suddenly that was the reason they kind of, so I think finally someone took the time to think, hang on a minute, that's not right. Because for so many years it had been, come and hurry up, why, why, why are you being slow? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And finally, someone thought actually there is something wrong here, and we maybe we need to kind of help her by by finding out what's wrong, not just oh she's so annoyed she can't run, you know. Does it took it always takes one person to actually kind of think outside the box and to actually want to kind of I guess help, and obviously that was probably quite a big thing for them to have to say you know, have to point that out to to my mom. But yeah, so that was ballet class It was parado, It all started and in the process of finding out what was what was wrong. Yeah
1: yeah its isn't you're so right it is amazing it only takes one person to to actually flag something up and be like hey I think maybe something isn't like as it should be here or something different is going on and and actually like I love the fact that you kind of this all came about because of ballet because like what what a like beautiful story love that that you were you know you were being active and and, you know sometimes it just wasn't working for you like you said you couldn't jump and and it wasn't because you were being lazy it was because you just couldn't jump but also because there were people who are involved in that story who aren't direct relations to you you know there are people who actually were like maybe something different is going on and actually if we can help out we can which just goes to show that actually good people are out there because there's a lot of you know people are horrible to disabled people and whatever but actually people do want to help and it's it's about finding the people that do
0: yeah and i think that also it's also interesting when you think about you know education and how you can be very overlooked in education you know yes. kind of half of me questions why previous teachers didn't stop to think rather than just kind of mm. like telling me i was a nuisance or or kind of like getting annoyed why they didn't stop to think i mean they they see hundreds of children why did they not think? Hey, I'm mean, gonna. This one is not kind of the same, and there must be a reason behind it. Let's try and work with her and the family to find out why. So, and and that was a bit of bit of frustration, I guess, of that why mm-hmm. that was never discussed sooner. You know, it took kind of seven years. It took you know from nursery into you know primary school, and then finally it was in a ballet class that someone actually thought hang on a minute, you know, it wasn't, it was a PE teacher. Yeah. It was, you know, and I think that's also what you were saying about how I was being active and that was the whole thing that I was always gave 110% and everything. And I still do. So even though I couldn't <laughs> run, even though I wasn't like the most ac- athletically competent person, I was quite sporty. I wanted to participate and I never wanted to <laughs> get out of it. So it was always hurtful to me as a, as a child to be told that I was was being lazy or was being a nuisance because I so badly wanted to participate. Like in sports day, I really wanted yeah. to do the races and kind of to the embarrassment of not being able to with everybody watching. I was just a bit like, okay, this is like not fair because I'm not one of the lazy children. I actually want, I want to be able to run and to win races. I want yeah. to be able to to be that. So of course, you know, when it was ballet class, I wanted to do ballet. And that's actually what was quite funny was that despite the clear kind of restrictions I had, the, the clear inability to kind of jump for example or run yeah I was still there doing it I was still giving it 110% even though clearly it wasn't that easy for me which I think is quite funny when you think about it
1: I just I I part of my heart breaks when you're like I wanted to be that kid that was running and like you know for my own embarrassment but then equally I'm like but you like you're you're someone who really embraces your disability and and like would you would that part of you exist if you hadn't felt that? Like, oh, I really want to do this, but actually, like, it doesn't really work out for me that well. And and I was wondering, after diagnosis for you, what was the rest of your schooling career like? Like, was your school super adaptive and accommodating or, or were there struggles there? Um,
0: I think you had a, an episode a while ago with um, Kieran, and he said it could be a whole episode on educational system for disabled children. And I completely... Oh, I know. Completely... <laughs> gonna say that again I completely agree with that and we could go on about this forever um I mean I think they adjusted up to a point but mm-hmm. it wasn't great and the school I was at was on a hill so there were things that they couldn't actually they couldn't avoid they couldn't take away the hill for me and they couldn't take away the huge yeah. steps they had to go down get to lunch and that sort of thing and I think that up to that point they did do what they could and there were teachers who were more flexible than others in adapting and I think the problem I would say was of course I was there for a year and a bit before I was diagnosed Um, so I was kind of I was just a normal child in the class and then suddenly I go to hospital I come back and suddenly they're like oh we have a disabled child in our class so I was the same person in the in the school but suddenly I had a disability and they had to kind of like I guess adapt to that and then maybe if it had been a different like starting a new school and going, this child disabled, here she is, she's new here, then it might have been easier, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because they would have could have yeah. known that going into it. Um and yeah, and I was the only disabled child in the school, so that didn't help either. They didn't really have the measures in place to understand disability or anything like that. So no, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um mm. and yeah, not not great. And there's always, a, you know, even if the school's very understanding and helpful, there's always things that you're going to face as a disabled child and keeping up with your peers, yeah. um, missing school due to ill health. And there's always those things, no matter what, there's always going to be those things that you can't really do anything about because there's the sort of things that happen and things that you experience as a disabled child, regardless of what type of health condition, what type of disability, um, what sort of physical ability you have. It's all it's all kind of like, you just it's just part of it. Um, yeah yeah.
1: I honestly think that all schools regardless of of where they are and if they're you know if they're um, funded or not do not categorically know how to handle disabled children regardless of what the disability is like it genuinely does not matter what the disability is quite often schools are completely clueless and I think what you said about going back to school is really interesting. The fact that because you had been there for a year already, it was almost like there was the, the pre-diagnosis you who was Definitely. like quote unquote non-disabled. And then suddenly there was a post-diagnosis you who who was a disabled child. And, and, and almost because they had the you that was pre-disability, they couldn't always understand as to why you needed accommodations because before you had this diagnosis, you, you were, you were somewhat able to do them, but actually it was incredibly difficult and and not a pleasant experience yeah. for you to do something of like walking down the stairs.
0: Yeah. Or beforehand I just adapted because I had no kind of reason to ask for accommodations. And of course, afterwards, after diagnosis, I went back and it was like, well, actually, you know, the OTs and whoever else, the team, would have gone to them and said, "Actually, this needs to be in place." So does this, so does this. And they were used to they were used to me just adapting and trying to manage because that's that's what mm-hmm. I had to do. You know, I, I always adapted because that was the only thing I could do, even though I didn't know why I had to do it. I just naturally yeah. that's how I grew up because that was you know, how it was. So there's also the case of like, they were used to me finding the ways around the access or my my disability, and because after they were suddenly like they had to then do those things for it. I think, all right, they don't have the education. And obviously this was 20 years ago. So I would hope that now things have changed in whatever type of school, whatever type of educational setting. Hopefully things now have changed as there's more disability awareness, there's more education. And hopefully teachers are more informed when they're just by being exposed to more disability. Because um, hopefully now there is that more awareness in society, especially with social media and all the different platforms that weren't there 20 years ago when I was you know, going through it, which, you know, I just have to hope that that is the case for other children now, that are going through kind of things that we went through when we were their age.
1: Yeah, for, for sure, for sure, and I think, you know, the scholastic system in and of itself can just, just do with, like, a whole facelift, really, but here yeah. we are. <laughs> Interestingly, though, I want to talk all about casual ableism, and ha- like your ideas behind it how did it get started what was your what was your driving force behind starting casual ableism
0: so my driving force behind starting casual ableism was ableism um yeah. funnily enough <laughs> and so I, I it's kind of a long story but I had recently I've been advocating for disability since I was diagnosed at or for so many years and mm-hmm. for a while I just took a step back because I found it quite draining, always kind of having to feel like I was fighting. I think anyone can understand this. You always feel like you're fighting and losing a yeah. battle sometimes. So I kind of took a step back. I focused on my on uni and on myself a little bit more. And then I was just finishing art school, a um, graphic designer, and I had had some experience at the art school. And, and in previous years, I just kind of had never done anything about because they weren't they weren't obviously that obviously ableism or discrimination. They were subtle. They were casual. Mm-hmm. And I had these experiences and I yeah. never did anything about them because I didn't want to cause any issues for myself. I didn't want to keep going and saying this happens this isn't right. You know, we just, just want to kind of like sail through and just kind of be under the radar a bit. You don't always want to have to be bringing things to attention and, and you know, being that disabled person, which people can, mm-hmm. you know, um, interpret you as even if you're not. Um, and so I had all these, these feelings. I was... Awake Wake, one night. I was in pain. I was really annoyed at these things that had happened. I'd never done anything about. Like I should have. I could have gone to the head of the department and said, "This teacher, this happened to this teacher. It wasn't okay. I should have like just done something about it, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like I need to do something with this kind of like frustration and this feeling inside me. I need to do something with it. And I had seen other things on social media for other issues where people had like opened up. Kind of like accounts, just a post about experiences they'd had about a range of different things, not just related but just about a range of things. And I thought, well, maybe I should do that. Like I'm a graphic designer, it can be a kind of graphic design social project of accessible mm-hmm. design and advocacy mixed together. And two passions, advocacy and design, and making sure it's accessible and just kind of just do it for myself as a way to get things out. It doesn't have to reach anybody. It's just for me to do something with the kind of the feelings that I'm feeling about the experiences. And I don't think I ever actually posted any of my own submissions because I did a couple of posts of like, what is ableism? What is casual ableism? And within kind of like a few hours, people were replying and commenting and saying, oh, they had this, it was casual ableism. They had this, they had this, they had this. And I suddenly thought, actually, this probably should be something bigger. It shouldn't just be about me. So I just casually Mm -hmm. said to some people, you know, well, do you want to post it on the account? Do you want it to be posted? And it just went from there. And I don't think I ever, po- I didn't think like one thing on my own. I never actually posted the kind of five things that I had intended to post. And so it never, I never set out for it to be anything. I never set out for it to be what it is today. And, you know, it just started from this one experience at art school. that had just gotten me so frustrated and so kind of hurt. And I think the, kind of the concept of casual ableism, obviously a lot of things that are posted aren't that casual or very obvious, but it was just that kind of the concept of let's raise awareness of things that people don't think or know are ableist or discriminatory. They think it's fine. But because we don't say anything or because they're so subtle or casual, they don't like know, so they don't know that they're doing it' wrong. So I thought, well, casual ableism, because it's that, th- that concept and hopefully we can raise awareness of these casual, subtle things like those comments of, oh, you're too young to be disabled or how fast does your wheelchair go. You know, those sort of things which seem like they're yeah. jokes and like heart- hearted. But the more you get them, and the more you have to smell through them, it's ableism and it's casual ableism. And that's just how the whole thing started. I started like, opening up the, my DMs to submissions and kept taking on submissions hundreds and hundreds. And I refined the accessibility to make sure it was far more accessible with, you know, alt text and camera case captions yeah. or hashtags, making sure that it was like, it wasn't ableist in itself, you know. And it just went from there. I never imagined that we'd be here now nearly kind of over three years later with 10,000 followers and and I'm just so grateful to everybody who's ever submitted and followed and liked and commented because it wouldn't be what it is without everyone who's put their faith in me as sort of anonymous person online wanting to like use experiences to to raise awareness and also kind of show people that they're not alone in what they're experiencing because that's also really important is you kind of you can get so you think it's just you or you think that you're no one else is going through this but actually when you look down the account and you see the different range of disabilities and the range of health conditions, and then you think actually, wait, it'sn't just me. And I'm not alone, even if you haven't experienced that one that one comment, it's still gonna kind of be like, Wow, other people are going through this as well, it's not just me which is really important, yeah. I think.
1: I love that because essentially you're you're creating a community where sometimes pe- people feel like they don't have any. And that's really important. And and I think also what you said about In art school you didn't necessarily challenge some people because you didn't want to be seen as that angry disabled person that so often people are boxed into because you're right when disabled people do complain people just think that we're angry about the fact that we're disabled when actually nine times out of ten it's actually more about the fact that the world in in itself is is ableist and and, and inaccessible and And I completely understand as to why you didn't challenge people because we've all been there, you know, people who say that they consistently challenge people sometimes are lying because it does get exhausting and it's tiring. And actually, you know, it can be super frustrating, but also what you said about it being super casual Sometimes it's not until after something's been said, you then realize what someone has said was actually incredibly ableist. I had that experience earlier this year that that actually really knocked me for six because like you said, it was so, so casual. And it it was almost like such a flippant comment. But actually I I couldn't understand why it had made me so upset and so angry. And then I had to have a sit down with myself and be like, that's because it was so casual, it was so yeah. open, out in the air, but it's ableism, and and that experience really jarred me for quite a while, because it, it, like you said, like, it was just so, so casual, and there was nothing that was, like, if someone had heard the conversation and didn't really understand disability, they would have just thought that it was just, like, something mm-hmm. that you just say, like, mm-hmm. yeah. but actually, upon reflection, it was actually really quite demeaning and demoralizing and and that like that hitting the nail on the head that you're giving this space to people who have these interactions and you're giving community because it's not always there and like isn't that amazing that you're able to be like do you know what I've created this space submit your submissions in I will I will do the graphic design because that's what I'm good at you know I'll get I'll make sure that it's accessible for everybody to read but you're not alone and in that there is something so valuable because you are never alone in disability but it can be incredibly isolating because your community
0: yeah.
1: yeah yeah because your community is not necessarily straight away your next door neighbor it might be something that you have to search for but actually what you've created is is there and that's that in and of itself is lovely
0: well, I hope so. And I think that often, like, even if you have supported friends and family, and even if they could have agree with or understand what, what you've experienced, it's still not the same as hearing it from someone else like yourself or, or who has that first-hand experience. It's still not the same. And I think also, like, what I was talking about in you know, school and, and being younger, it's very hard to find that when you haven't got the freedom for social media or to travel mm. and, and meet other people like you. So the about social media is obviously people say it has its downsides, but at the same time, the disability community on social media is just so incredible and that uh, everyone's there for each other and I think it just shows that you're not alone and even if you aren't in the same country somebody you know you can still connect and still have that understanding I even mean, having to say it I mean that's really important and the fact that also as you were saying about your experience you'd have, you didn't realise at the time it was only until afterwards and I think often like we're so used to hearing these things we're so used to just kind of smiling through it we're so used to kind of going out and seeing you know a step with no ramp or you know any form of inaccessibility they were just like okay well you know moving on you know whatever never mind yeah and then it's like like, I'm exhausted by this or actually it's a big we're gonna because we're so used to it just sort of take it as normal and I think that's when it kind of hits you after a while and you're like actually that's not normal I shouldn't have to be okay with this like I shouldn't have to just go oh well never mind I'll just go to a different bar because that one's got a step in it oh well you know Never mind, you know, because actually that's not okay. But we're so used to just kind of going, okay, moving on. Right, I must 't done it. I must just kind of carry on and do not to let it, let it ruin an outing or an evening or whatever. And I think that's also yeah. the whole thing of the casual side of things. Is if We're just so used to it being casual. Like, ah, oh, yeah, it's fine. But actually, it's not.
1: Yeah. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said... Yeah. I didn't want to be the angry disabled person that complained because it's such a nasty, nasty trope. And it's one that the media loves to portray. And and it's something that's really difficult to, particularly as women or those who are femme presenting. If you are complaining and you also happen to be of a minority group, regardless of what said minority group is, you are the angry minority person so you are the angry disabled person you are the angry gay person you are the angry black person like these are tropes that really really target minority groups to make you feel smaller and also to to take the control away from you so that it's (laughs) given to other people and And there is nothing worse than someone just turning around to you and saying, you're just being an angry disabled person. Because at that point, you almost want to be like, okay, well, here is an education as to why I'm an angry disabled person. Here are all the reasons as to why I am sat here and I'm annoyed about it. And if you You find this uncomfortable, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like If you find this uncomfortable, then do something about it. But this is my lived experience, so I will be annoyed about it. And I think there's there's so much to be said in that there's so much to unpack in it i'm pretty sure we could probably do like a whole another episode just about being angry disabled women because it's a trope that gets played all the time Mm -hmm. and i think also like i said earlier on about
0: being in education you can't necessarily you're not in a position to counter anything and that was obviously happened at art school and so you know there's a level of of respect there and i think already Mm -hmm. i felt like i was asking for accommodations i needed extra exams and I was already felt like I was, obviously, I had every right for those adjustments, but I kind of really felt like I was asking permission for stuff. I was asking for things. And there was already a sense in my class of people who thought that I was getting away with things for disability. I was using it as an excuse for Yeah, that's sort of another yeah. topic altogether. But um, so I think I was, I just wanted to really keep a low profile and just not kind of like I was challenging an authority figure as well. And I think that that's also another thing. There are certain situations where you can, you know, you can counter it, you can stand up for yourself, and you can say, actually, that's not right, whether it's in a social setting, whether that's in, you know, you're in a a small place or anywhere. But then there are certain times, whether it's with family, whether it's in education or workplace, there's certain spaces where it's just not as easy to stand up for yourself, metaphorically. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> um, or to kind of say actually hang on can I just explain to you can I just I don't want to like cause trouble I just want to say it or explain to you why that wasn't okay you know in this instance it was it was used as a way of they were doing a photo shoot up on the roof and she had come into the room saying there were four of us in the room and she said there were only three volunteers up on the roof and there were four of us in the room and everyone else all the other the cars were up there And her reasoning for not including me was it was too dangerous. But if it was too dangerous, then no one should have been up on the roof. And so that was the kind of thing, and obviously it wasn't even that casual, but it was just this, the way she framed it was for health and safety and for protecting, it's too dangerous for you. But the way she got about it was she come into the classroom and there were four of us, she'd only asked for three volunteers. And, you know, I couldn't, there wasn't the space to be able to say, like, can I just explain to you that actually it wouldn't have been dangerous for me up there because I'm not, I wouldn't. wasn't going to stand on the edge of the wall and fall over. Like I wasn't going to be any <laughs> danger to myself or anyone else. But also, mm-hmm. you know, to explained to actually that I felt it was exclusion and it was discrimination and that felt made me feel really isolated. But there wasn't, I didn't feel I could do that because, you know, the teacher thing and just didn't want to make a scene. And that's the whole thing of, mm-hmm. of these spaces where sometimes you can say these scenes, sometimes you can't. And I think that's sort of, you just get to know, I think you also, you learn over the years of when to pick your battles and when not to, and you shouldn't kind of have to, but at the same time, I could have sensed that this was one that I needed to let go, and then later on start casualism and start this whole thing, which actually, thank you to that that teacher, because this has been great, you know, what's come of it, and the, the positive that's come from that negative situation has actually been really amazing. So in a way, thank you for that experience <laughs> you know um look where we are now but you
1: know i think what you said about all of a sudden you became a health and safety hazard is an experience that far too many disabled people have had is that you are stopped from doing something because immediately people are scared and you you do become a health and safety hazard and, and it's something that's really specific to scholastic buildings yeah immediately and they before you, you
0: so well, they they decide for you that you're going to be at risk or at danger, or of of danger to someone else or to the situation, or you're going to be a health and safety kind of like responsibility for. them. they decide that rather than saying this is happening, whether it's a school trip, whether it's some sort of activity or some sort of um, yeah event at school, they decide for you rather than having a discussion. This is going to happen. This is what's involved. You know, we'd love you to be involved. You know, what can we do to make you'd be able to be involved or what can we do to make it low risk because obviously there might be a risk to it. I think that's the another key thing is have a, how you approach these situations. And that's not just in education, it's anywhere with disabled people when you want to have them in, have, to have disabled people involved and represented. It's all about how do you approach it rather than deciding on our behalf. You need to actually have mm-hmm. us with the conversation in the first place, or like, how can we make this work? Because it should be accessible for every single person every student, every person who's here. And that's a thing that is done more, but it's still not done always. Enough. Enough.
1: I think I think that is very true. You're, you're taking away any power from the disabled person as soon as you decide for them, R- regardless of what you're deciding. You, if you don't include that disabled person, then it, it's pointless and it's futile because you're not actually understanding what part and parcel of the problem is but moving away from school affairs yes I wondered if you had a piece of advice for a younger version of you
0: oh that's that's tricky um I think I think my main thing would be to do with I think with being identity of being disabled and and feeling very different from everyone around me I think that would be my biggest advice would be around that around that it like topic i'm not sure what it would be exactly i think it would probably be just i think kind of like just hang in there because you will meet people who accept you for who you are or and don't care that you're disabled then you will find those people that really do not care at all and it's completely relevant to them that you you know using a ability aid and or you you're just different i think that would be the biggest thing because so it just feel i think when you're lacking that sort of support you're lacking you're lacking even seeing representation on TV and in the media. You can feel very you can feel like it's never going to happen, and that you are so different, and there's only one of you. Everyone else is normal, but you but, but except you, and that's really really hard when you're younger, especially when you know growing up is difficult anyway. Especially being you know a teen, a female teenager or teenager in general, it can be really difficult with identity and body image. And I think so that would be my biggest thing, which would kind go of hang in there. You know, just it will get better. Just hang in there and you know, there will be, you know, developments in, you know, representation in the media, there will be people on TV who look like you, or who, you know, have the same sort of experiences as you and, and accessibility will get better. And you will find people that are going to not care if you have to throw the restaurant first to check if it's got a ramp or not, people like aren't going to mind, they're not going to be an inconvenience to people. And the people that don't accept you for who you are, they're not worth it. And it's better to have a few people who accept you for who you are and who don't care then try and be part of a bigger kind of group of people who don't accept you. You know, to have a small circle of friends who really embrace it and just, they just don't care. I think that's sort of like a really important message and that even if, you know, you don't have any people who understand or lived experience literally physically physically with you, um, mm-hmm. you will find through social media, you will find people who are disabled, who have different lived experiences, who, can, who you can relate to and who are kind of also kind of, alongside you and advocating for for change and for better access
1: I love that I think that hang in there is actually such a good piece of advice for like anybody going through any form of hardship because we could all do with that advice every now and then just you know just hang in there because things will get better and, and I love what you said about you will find friends who accept you for who you are and who won't worry about whether or not you've got to ring a restaurant or if you have to change the day that you're hanging out yeah. or they might not even you know have the same lived experience as you but they're going to understand you in a different way and and that might not come from school because your people might not yeah. be there and equally that is absolutely fine like your people might not be at school they might be friends that you make through social media or through work or through activism and and actually, like, amazing. I couldn't, I couldn't love that more. Like, hang in there. You're going to be fine. It just yeah. doesn't feel like it right now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, And also, I think the other, the other bit of advice would probably be that, like, it's okay to feel like it's a lot. Like, it's okay to, to feel like, wow, this is actually quite a lot to do. Like, it's okay to have those moments where you don't feel proud to be disabled or you don't feel like it's kind of, oh, it's fine, you know, I'll just get on with it. It's okay to have those moments. I think that it's that you know we're kind of sometimes expected to always be fine so we're not inconveniencing anybody else yeah. but I think it is really important also just to let yourself feel if you need to have you know a day or two where you just feel like actually this is, this is kind of sucks that's okay too because there's nothing worse than bottling it up and then not like accepting it because disability is hard as well you know obviously we can be proud and we can say that you know it's fine but actually it's okay to say it's hard it's okay to say that we face these things from a day-to-day basis of ableism, discrimination or bad health. And that's completely fine as well. I think there's another thing, would just be to kind of let yourself feel what you feel because it's okay and it's okay to not always say that, yeah, I'm proud or, or to say, that, yes, I'm okay with it because you're only human and it's okay yeah. to have those feelings as well. It's like nothing worse than feeling like you're expected to always be okay with it. It's okay to grieve for the life you thought you had or the ability you're losing or the fact that you can't do what your peers are doing or just... Yeah, it's just, it's okay to, to, to feel those things and to feel those emotions and have, and have those feelings about disability. It's okay to, to feel that way. And we don't always have to, to be as strong as we maybe portray to the outside world.
1: For sure. I like to think that during hardship, regardless of what it may be, if we can look back and notice a positive trait about ourselves, then ultimately we've learned something And I was wondering for you, is there any time that you look back on that's been maybe hard for whatever reason and you look back on that time and there's a particular trait that you're really proud of, what would it be for you?
0: I think probably like perseverance and just I think another thing at the beginning when we were talking about how, you know, when I before I was diagnosed I would just give 110% regardless of the Mm -hmm. fact that I couldn't really physically you know do yeah. what I I think that's always been how I am. I've always given that hundred and ten 110% regardless. And I think that would probably would be my best kind of trait for the, the past and the future that I do just kind of push through and keep going and and I guess sort kind of maybe like feel what I'm feeling in the moment and then move on. So kind of let myself take a minute, kind of accept that you know whatever it is is happening is is not great or it's happening, and I'm allowed to feel that way. But then pick myself up again and carry on. And I think also that using the my kind of subconscious way of using the bad things for good, like the whole art school thing, then casual capitalism, like without even realising I was yeah. doing it, I did it. And I think without sounding arrogant or anything like that, I think that's sort of another thing that I think is kind of like a trait that I look back, or or sort of finding a solution to a problem without even thinking about it sort of like okay well this is happening this you know isn't going to work or this is happening and there's no kind of cure for it there's no way around it so what can we do instead mm-hmm. I know mean, how can we move forward or move around it so we get a mixture of a
1: mixture of things I love what you said about if we you know if we can't move it how do we move around it how do we move forward if there isn't going to be a change because uh, like the vast majority of disabled people and you know anybody who experiences any disability in their life really will understand that adaption is your best friend like regardless adaption will become your best friend it doesn't matter who you are like and that's exactly what you've what you exude is that you know okay so there isn't a cure but how do we move forward from this because there are still things that have to be done let's let's carry on Let, let's move forward and Perseverance I think is a really brilliant trait to have regardless of who you are and what, and what you do and, and what your disability is, or if you're even disabled or not. I think there's a lot of merit to be had in perseverance. So I love that.
0: I think it's also really important to, to say that, of course, everyone deals with things differently and that everyone else, everyone's unique way of moving around something or finding a, um, a solution to something is, is also acceptable. It doesn't matter how you personally deal with something, whether it's disability or anything in life, I think there is no one way to deal with anything there's no one where disability and therefore there's no one you know going to find your own way around things you know if you feel like you cope with something better a certain way or you feel like you know in in education if there's a better way for you if school isn't working for you then homeschooling or distance learning there's no correct like I did that for a couple of years in my GCSEs because it wasn't working at school it wasn't in support I needed so so I left and distance learned my GCSEs from home myself I think that's also the thing, like it just doesn't matter how you get through it, as long as you kind of like find the way that suits you to do it, then that's fine. And that like, you mustn't compare yourself to anybody else. I think it's always like quite hard sometimes. Like I admit that there are people, social media influencers who are disabled. And sometimes I think, you know, I can't do that, or how do they have the energy to do that? And that's okay also to kind of to feel that, but it's also good to know that like not everyone who's disabled can. And there are different levels and everyone's got a different way of able portraying disability, but also portraying kind of like how they cope with certain things or yeah, or just kind of how you deal with life. Like, and that's fine as long as you do what works for you and don't try and do something because someone else does it, I think, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it completely, it completely does. And, and it, it goes back to that original thing is that disability is not one size fits all. It's so individual for every single person, regardless of whether or not you have the same diagnosis on a piece of paper, how you relate to your disability, how you adapt to the, the world around you, how you move, how you walk, how you talk. Everything is just so individual. And that's actually the beauty of disability is that it's never the same thing. And then, yeah. aren't we so lucky that we get to experience that?
0: Definitely. I think also meeting, you know, coming with people with disabilities or health conditions, you could have you to get to experience how they deal with things as well and you have to experience their mm-hmm. who they are because of their disability or who they are because of or despite of it I think that's really it is beautiful that you kind of yeah you get to experience that not just from your own experience but everyone else's as well which is really really special
1: so I like to ask about the weird questions we get surrounding our disabilities because I think there is some humour in what questions you get asked, and and I was wondering, is there a particular funny question or weird question that people ask you about your disability?
0: Um, nothing like too nothing too specific. There obviously have been been occasions where I've had some funny things, like someone was asked me if I could drink alcohol with my disability. <laughs> um, and I think I think sometimes people think, like, is it contagious? Or especially mm-hmm. like when children, like when I was younger with children, of you know, kind of kind of thinking that they could kind of get contaminated by it, even though it's completely not how it works at all. Um, <laughs> you know, lack of lack of information and education. Um, I think there's nothing like that specific. It's more just I think assumptions people make. Like for example, I use a mobility scooter, so I'm like partially ambulant. Um, mm-hmm. I can't walk very far or something for very long, but I can, you know, get up and move. And as it yeah. happened the other day, I was, I went in in my bed and I stood up to just move to a shopping rail and so I'm like, Oh, she can walk. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I never said I couldn't, you know, <gasps> it's like, yeah. oh. you know, um, and I think finding questions, I think it's kind of just people's assumptions about, you know, they, they see one thing and they think that that's it, you know, and I think they're often not so questions, but just people's they they see you and they observe and then they kind of decide that that's how it is and then you kind of do something that surprises them like get up and walk and they're like oh my gosh Mm -hmm. it's incredible or like at concerts or music festivals and you're sitting down and maybe you stand up and and have a little dance and they're just like shocked because that surprised their perception of you and they kind of think that you shouldn't because you're disabled or that you know you shouldn't if you're disabled there's only one way of being disabled so therefore Mm -hmm. you know you, you could have nobody who's disabled could walk at all you know, that kind of mentality and lack of awareness um but questions I don't think I've had that many many like direct questions like the thing about alcohol was quite funny <laughs> and <laughs> bizarre um but I think yeah nothing nothing like direct I think it's more people's assumption or the people's the questions that they don't actually ask you I think it would actually be incredible to find out the questions people think in their heads but don't ask you for whatever reason I think that would be a very interesting social experiment.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. I think that would be an incredible social experiment. But then part of me really wonders if it would be, um, like, ethically safe.
0: True. Yeah, true.
1: Probably best we don't know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. (laughs) I only have one final question for you, Laura. And I just want to say before I ask it, I really know the answer to the question. You've already answered this question, but I have loved having you on today because I think you really embody turning positives, uh, turning negatives into positives and, and having a really, you know the perspective that you have on life is very much let's let's move around the problems that we've got and and how do we move forward and I think there's so much for that and I think it's so brilliant and I just want to say thank you for being on but my final question is Laura are you disabled and proud (laughs) yes I am I am disabled
0: and proud and I think that it's as it earlier it comes with the fact of having an explanation of of why and also I think that I'm not I'm I often think like, who would I be without my disability? If I wasn't disabled, who would I be? What would I be like? How would I think about the world? How would I like kind of morally, who would I be? And I think that's, I'm not my disability and my disability isn't who I am, but it is a huge part of me and it's part of like how I am as a person would have know, shaped that. I think anyone, any experience that one has, um, I think that does shape you whether you know it does or not. So I think that that is also a big thing. Of you kind know, of it's my my identity isn't just someone who's disabled. It's far more than that. But at the same time, it is I am who I am because of it, because of what I've lived through. And I think that that's kind of quite special in a way because it makes we have a different perspective on the world. And what was that, I going to say? But I think it also it's really also good to to say that there obviously are times when maybe I don't feel as proud or I don't feel as I guess Mm -hmm. accepting of it. I think there's really like there's nothing wrong with saying that. I think it's really important to to say that because I know there are people out there who maybe aren't as proud or aren't as open to disclosing it, or who don't feel like they can be, or even allowed to be disabled if people around them are saying, you know, actually you're not disabled or you haven't got a health condition. That's a lot of submissions we get about people whose people around them don't like kind of let them say I'm autistic or I have ADHD or something. So that's also Mm -hmm. really important to say that you don't have to always be proud even though obviously i am and obviously we're different always going to be in the future there's going to be situations that make me feel a certain way or make me feel maybe less ready to disclose it there are certain areas of life where you know i think probably you couldn't understand as well there are times when you could have if you're aware of how someone's going to react whether that's with dating or with work or any sort of asset of of especially growing up and, and in the adult world there are those times you're kind of thinking you're gonna to have to kind of take a step back and think, do I disclose this immediately? Do I say I'm disabled or do I just like wait a bit, if that makes sense mm-hmm. as well. So I think yes, I am yeah, proud, but yeah. there are also more and more there are moments where I think kind of I think also because now I'm older, I know how the world works more. And so I'm very aware of how people perceive disability and how people people react to disability and how they misconceptions that they have. So maybe that makes me more wary of of disclosing it, but it's more, I guess, for their sake or for how they're, I think also like to protect myself from their reaction, if that makes sense. So kind of preempting that maybe in that situation, there could be some resistance or there could be some judgment without knowing who I am underneath the disability, that I'm kind of maybe more reticent, I guess, to protect myself and to protect myself from those comments or situations that I know probably will happen.
1: I think everything that you said makes so much sense and and you're right you don't you don't always have to be proud some days it's the one of the worst things in the world but then on other days it's the best and and it's very much you know swings and roundabouts but thank you so much for being a guest today I have loved this conversation and I just can't wait to see what you do this year I think it's going to be an amazing year for all of us like aren't we so lucky that we get to do this like i love these conversations so thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me and i love
0: the podcast so i'm a big fan so it's a real real honor to be to be a guest and to, to be on
1: thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then i'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast